This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. First reading this morning is from John chapter 15, beginning at the ninth verse. Jesus said, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I heard from my father. You did not choose me but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. Hear the word of the Lord. Good morning. The second reading today is Psalm 33. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Praise the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The world is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord and the heavens were made and all their host by the breath of his mouth. He gathered the waters of the sea as in a bottle. He put the depths in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all humankind. From where he sits enthroned, he watches all the inhabitants of the earth, he who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. A king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a vain hope for victory, and by its great might it cannot save. Truly the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope on his steadfast love to deliver their soul from death 
and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and shield. Our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we, as we hope in you. Hear the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's pray. <clears throat> Our gracious God, your word is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Today, when we hear your voice, deliver us from hardness of heart. Help us to put away everything that keeps us from persevering in your way. For the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the love of God. That's the topic of today's sermon. We're continuing our series on the attributes of God, the God of grace, what he is like. Now, the love of God. If there's any topic that risks becoming an avalanche of vicar waffle, as we've called it before, then this is it. To say God loves is pretty unoffensive, agreeable, and in the end, pretty unremarkable thing to say. I mean, of course God is love. Of course he loves. That's his job, right? And I might say, of course he loves me. You know, I'm a pretty lovable person. Maybe we should just close our eyes and imagine the great benevolent one giving us a big cuddle. But I think, you know, as, as much as I love cuddles, if we give it more than a moment's thought, we realise that God's love is a little more complicated than that, and urgently so. When I read my Bible, it's not immediately self-evident that God, in fact, loves. Flooding the whole world, bursting out in anger, holding out the prospect of eternal judgment. If he's love, it doesn't seem to make much difference. And it's not just the Bible, because the way of the world suggests otherwise too. You know, I could mention war and violence. Though we could say, well, that's stuff, you know, we do those kinds of things to ourselves. But what about natural disasters? Or the cruel fingers of sickness, disease, untimely death. I'm sure it's not difficult to find experiences in your own life that might have caused you to question whether God really loves. It can be hard to say that God loves when you're seriously ill or bereaved or lonely and terrified for the future. All of this calls into question, what, what is it that we mean when we say that God is love? If you're a doubter, is God's love actually just nonsense? If you're a believer, how do we make sense of God's love and all these other things? And so in the end, what real difference does it make to say that God loves? Well, these are big questions, and my hope is in the next 20 minutes or so, we can start to get a purchase on the complexity and depth of the love of God. And so come away with not only an understanding more about what God's love is like, but also the ability to perhaps discern God's love in our lives and then seek to live it out. Well, the first step to understanding what it means for God to love is to look at God's love in himself. When 1 John chapter 4 that Michael read out earlier, when it says that God is love, it means more than God loves us. It means that God is love in himself. Today is Trinity Sunday. It's the day of the year that we particularly think of, remember, celebrate that God is Trinity. One God in three. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. 
When you read the New Testament, and especially the Gospel of John, and we had this in the reading from John 15 a little earlier, you're struck by this language of love between God the Father and God the Son. The Father has loved me, says Jesus in verse 9. And in John 5, God's pictured as a loving human, as a loving father showing his son the tools of the trade because of the love that he has for him. And in John 14, Jesus the son does everything the father tells him because he loves him. Now all this language of God the father and son loving each other is a window into the love relationships that stand at the very center of who God is. Jonathan Edwards was an 18th century theologian and he said this about the Trinity. He said, There dwells God the Father and so the Son, who were united in infinitely dear and incomprehensible mutual love. This is astonishing that at the very center of who God is, at the center of the universe, is love. Now the love of God in himself means two important things. First, it helps us to understand what true love really is. This is a self-giving, other-oriented love. You know, I think when we think of love, what we tend to think about is a warm, buzzy feeling you get when someone maybe shows you interest and makes you feel good. And you know, I think at least half of that's probably ego, the good feeling of, of our own ego being stroked. But God's love, real love, is not just a warm feeling. It's an active love that seeks the good and joy of another. But neither is it just an impersonal altruism that's all about action and nothing about feeling. This isn't the disinterested God of Greek philosophy. This is an affectionate, active love like a parent for her child. And so this means that when we love like this, with this active love that seeks good of others, we reflect God's very being. And we reflect the center of the universe. When you love your friend or your spouse, your neighbor, or even your enemy in an active, affectionate love that seeks their good and their welfare, you reflect the very ground of the cosmos. Isn't that astounding? The second thing that God's love in himself means is that, the, is that everything that God does, everything that God does is in some way an expression of his love. His love is somehow bound up in it. Since it's at his very being, his love isn't changing or dependent on his mood or change of feelings. It's a settled love, willed and active from eternity past. And so all he does expresses his love, the father seeking the good of his son and seeking the good of, the create, of his creation. Now earlier I, I raised some issues, uh, some doubts that, that might make us think uh, or doubt whether God really loves, like his anger or our pain. But if God is love then even these things are, in a sense, an expression of God's love. When God exercises his anger, his wrath against evil, he does it even as he loves and seeks the good of his creation. Now, any analogy between God and us 
uh, is always imperfect. But if somebody you love does something to hurt you, or even to hurt themselves or another person, it makes you angry. In fact, it's because you love that it affects you so much. And it's a bit like this with God. His anger and judgment against sin, which we see all through both Old and New Testaments, is an expression not only of his justice and holiness, but also of his love, because he hates to see his beloved creation destroyed by evil. And it's even a similar story when God allows the darkness of the world to press in on us. Even then, God's love is still active, even when we can't see it. The psalm that we read earlier, verse, uh, Psalm 33 from verse 18, said, Truly the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. His eye is on them. His eye is on us always. And we don't always know the full story of why God allows us to go through the things that, that he does. But at least part of the story is in Hebrews 12, verses 6 and 7, where it says that the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And so we can endure hardship as discipline because God is treating us as his children. God loves, God's love seeks our good by developing in us righteousness and peace, character and hope. Now, these aren't complete or easy answers to those issues. You know, we only see through a glass darkly. But even in the darkest moments of Scripture, in the history of the world and in your life, God still loves. His eye is on you because he is loving in himself. And so that brings us to the second step of understanding God's love thought about God's love in himself, but then there's looking at God's love for us. If you've ever seen the movie The Blues Brothers, you might not have heard of that for a while, thought about that movie for a while. Uh, there's that classic song in the middle somewhere, Everybody Needs Somebody to Love. It's a fun song. We had to play it at our wedding. But although I'm not sure that actually everybody needs romantic love, everybody really does need loving relationships in their lives. It's what, makes it, what helps us to not only thrive, but also survive. But God is different. Because he is loving himself, he doesn't need somebody to love. And yet, like if you plug up the bath and turn the faucet on and leave it overnight, God's love overflows out of himself to us. God shares freely and willingly, shares his love with us, even though he doesn't need us. And he loves us by creating and sustaining the universe and our lives. Before there was anything, all things were created out of this engine of incredible love. Out of his own being and life, he generously gives us the gift of being and life. The universe exists and you exist because God loves. God also sustains and upholds all things by his goodness of his providence. Psalm 145 verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. 
Remember what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you might be familiar with the passage where he speaks about uh, that as God clothes the flowers of the, the beautiful flowers of the field, so he clothes us. As God feeds even the birds in the trees, so God provides for us. He cares. But even more than this, God's providential love also restrains the evil and darkness in the world. As I mentioned earlier, we live in this, in this painful world. Evil pervades it and even penetrates our own hearts. And yet his love is still there because he restrains the evil in the world in our own hearts. Things are nowhere near as bad as they could be if God's love wasn't, wasn't restraining it. So God loves by creating and sustaining, but God's love overflows most lavishly in his saving love. You might know the story of the young man who went to his father and demanded his inheritance. He uh, treated him as though he were dead. He took that inheritance, went off to a far-off land and squandered it all on wild living. And so he found himself basically serving as a slave feeding pigs their food in, amidst the mud and muck and wishing that he could just even, could even eat some of the pigs' food. So he thought he'll go back to his father. Perhaps his father might even just employ him as a servant, at, at least that. But as he got to the far paddock, you know what his father did? He ran to him, kissed him, embraced him, gave him his finest cloak and the finest ring, sacrificed the fattened calf and had a feast, a party, to celebrate that his beloved son had returned. The prodigal son completely spurned his father's love, but the father loves the son and welcomes him home. And it is this welcoming and saving love that God pours out on us. It's the abounding and steadfast love that pumps through the Old Testament, that chooses Israel, delivers them from slavery, binds God to them like a devoted husband and patiently bears with them as they continue to spurn him as we do. And it's this same love that God pours out, overflows onto us through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a love that, co that covers the world as the waters cover the sea. That's why John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his son. The son so loved the world that he gave his life. A shameful, terrifying, debasing death, bearing the sin of the world and his own judgment of God. And so the opportunity to experience the fullness of this saving love is open to everyone, even the worst, even the people who you think would never be worthy of the love of God, yet it is open to them, even to you and me. This love also has a particular and exclusive edge to it. I mean, when we had John 15 read in verse 16, Jesus Mentioned, says to his disciples that he says, I chose you. Ephesians 1.4 says that in love, God predestined us. If you're someone who trusts Jesus, 
God has chosen you. He has predestined you, set his affection on you because he loves you. And Jesus' death for you means that you are not just a slave to him. You are, his, you are a friend, is how Jesus put it. And not just a friend, but a son, an heir, a beloved child. And his spirit, he generously gives us his spirit. Romans 5.5 5 says that God pours his love into our hearts by his spirit. Romans 8, that the spirit enables us to call God our father. Presses that love of God into our hearts. And this is a saving love that's not just about the past, not just about now, but extends into the future, into eternity. According to the end of Romans 8, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ. Not trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword and not even angels or demons, not even death. Because of his love, your future is eternal love and goodness from God. This is God's saving love for us. Have you ever had an experience where you have realized for the first time how much somebody loves you? Perhaps you didn't realize it before. I had an experience like that a few years ago. A friend of mine gave up something that was deeply precious to him for my benefit, for my well-being. I didn't ask him to. In fact, I asked him not to. But he still did. And he revealed to me how much he loved me. I don't think we will realize how much God loves us until we consider how scandalous God's love is for us because we are so unworthy of it. The fact is that God owes us nothing The universe, you or I, we could not have been. But because of his love and generosity, here we are. God doesn't doesn't kind of look at you and and love you as, uh, as a lover does. It's not that simple in the sense. He doesn't look into your eyes and admire your smile, kind of look at your beautiful hair and your dimples and uh, see your, your sense of humor. Oh, aren't you great? Aren't you lovable? He doesn't look, even look deep into your heart and see true goodness. He does look into our hearts. But because like the prodigal son, we spurn God's love. Our hearts bend away from God, in on ourselves. We worship the creation instead of the creator. And so Ephesians 2 says we are dead in our sins. Romans 5, that we are God's enemies. As the character Reverend Ames observed in Marilyn Robinson's novel, Gilead, he said, there is an absolute disjunction between our Father's love and our deserving. The truth is, God loves us just because he loves. He loves us because he loves So how can we respond to God's great love for us? Three ways. First, receive his love. No matter who you are here today, I want to tell you, if you haven't picked it up already, God loves you. He loved you until it hurt. 
all the way to the cross. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you can rest in God's love. He chose you from before the very creation of the world to be his beloved child. His spirit is in you, pressing that love into your heart. And so embrace it. Remind yourself daily of the overflowing, generous love that God has for you. Despite what you might think, you are loved. Though let me be clear, if you're not a follower of Jesus here today, yeah, yes, God loves you. And yet God's love for you isn't yet what it could be. In the Bible's terms, you are still an enemy of God, and yet he loves you and invites you to love, experience his love even more deeply and for eternity. He doesn't want you to perish, but instead have eternal life. So won't you trust him and experience the fullness, receive his love? So we need to receive God's love. Second, we return his love. God has loved us so much. So how can we do anything but to love him back? Now, according to Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as Jesus put it in John 15, God has loved us and so we are called to remain in his love. How? By obeying his commandments. Entrusting him with our lives. So if you've been struck by God's love for you today, the challenge today is to love him back. To choose him as you would choose a friend and then pursue that relationship with all that you've got. Pursue him, live for him, glorify him and return his love. We receive his love, we return his love and finally we reflect his love. God has loved us so we ought to love one another. This is, should be the distinguishing mark of Christians in the world. As God has loved us, so we love one another and we love the world. It's not loving just people like us or people who are easy to love. Remember God's incongruous love? He owed us nothing and yet he loves. So how much more are we to love those who are not like us? The peop- not just the people who make you feel good, but love even people who annoy you. The people, not just the people who like you or who you naturally like, but the people who you find a little awkward. People who are near you in your street, as well as those who are far off and in need and in the shadows. God is love. He calls us to love as he has loved us. Let's pray and ask for his help. Our Father, we praise you for your generous, glorious love that you've lavished on us in our Lord Jesus and by your Spirit. And so, Father, would you give us a true sense of your love for us? Help us to take hold of your love and to love you with all our heart, mind, soul and strength and to show forth that love for others in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. 
please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.